unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
very likely I'm not going to get through that. So I'm not going to be in a hurry. Um, when we get to the end of the quarter's uh, time span, we'll probably take a break. Somebody else uh, come in for another quarter, and we will likely not be through 100, Psalm 119. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I would rather spend the time to study it properly and study it thoroughly. And so I'm not, I will not use the term guinea pig that, uh, to refer to y'all, but I am going to try some things just a little bit different. Uh, dig a little deeper. Uh, tonight, what I think I'll do is I'm going to split this lesson into two parts. Uh, I know I'm going to dig a little deeper into this tonight. So, as we begin our Bible class, let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our most holy and righteous Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be together, for allowing us the opportunity to know your word and to have your word and to love it and to study it. We know that there are many who are sick, who are recovering, who are concerned about becoming sick. Father, we know that there are many who are not feeling well this very evening. There are others who are sad this evening and still others who have lost uh, loved ones and lost their home, lost other things. And Father, we know that you know those people and their needs better than we do and many about whom we do not even know. Father, I pray that in accordance to your will that you will bless them, that you will bless us. Bless Brother Ken and Anita as they travel home. Bless each of this congregation, Father, your family here and your family in other places. Be with the Green family and the other families mentioned in the bulletin this morning uh, that I'm too forgetful to remember now, that you'll bless them in their difficult times. And now especially as we open your truth to Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48, help us to dig into it, Father, with the understanding of, of learning it and applying it and living it. In your Son's name, we humbly pray. Amen. Now, if you're a note taker, I invite you to do just that. Or, um, as I said before, there is no way we can cover everything, but I invite you to, uh, I hope that I whet your appetite a little bit. I hope that I make you want to uh, study more from Psalm 119. As I have said before, Psalm 119 is about God's Word. Every aspect of God's Word is seen in Psalm 119. And so as we think about that passage, as we dig into that passage, uh, let's do that with the idea of, hey, what does this teach me about the Word of God? So in Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48, I want to begin by just looking at that passage. Let's read it together. I'm reading from the New American Standard tonight. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. The ESV says my hope is in your rules there. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, and I, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be ashamed, for I delight in your commandments, which I love. 
which I shall lift up, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Notice the different things, the different ways that the Word of God is mentioned there, is uh, talked about there. Every aspect of, of the way that the Word of God uh, manifests itself in my life, provides for my life the things that I need, is in Psalm 119. And so, and let's look at then some of those things and remember each of these sections. We're going to look at 41 through 48 tonight. Each of these sections is a verse or a stanza of a song. And that's the Hebrew uh, letter. It begins, Psalm 119, each eight verses begins with one of the letters from the Hebrew alphabet. And here's this particular one. I won't even try to pronounce it. But as we look at verses 41 through 48 for a little while tonight, already with the disclaimer that we're not going to try to get through all eight verses tonight, we're going to try something different. We're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to think about how does this apply to me. It's easy sometimes, and perhaps you've heard it said before. I've even heard uh, or had been asked, now, you folks over in the Church of Christ, you know any time a question starts like that, it's going to be interesting, so you probably ought to sit down. Uh, but you folks over in the Church of Christ don't believe in the Old Testament, do you? Well, yeah. Uh, but I believe in it according to what Paul said in Romans 15, 4, that the things written aforetime were written for our learning. It was written to teach us, so that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. We'll even look at that verse a little bit, uh, a little closer. But as I think about, I hope you understand, if I haven't spent the time digging uh, into the New Testament, you need to understand that what we learn here about the Word of God certainly not only is a nice sentiment, oh, it's much more than that. It's a lesson to be applied to how you and I relate to the Word of God today. The way you and I live the gospel of Christ. We live the truth of the gospel. So with that said, I want us tonight for just a little while to think about what the Word of God gives me as it's outlined in this particular section of Scripture. What does the Word of God give to me as someone who loves God, someone who want, is a child of God, someone who wants to serve God? What does the Word of God give me specifically? First of all, I want us to see in verses 41 and 42 that the Word of God gives me answers we need. Would it be a fair statement to say sometimes that life causes us to scratch our head and wish we had more answers than we have? Okay, this is an interactive class. This is yes. This is no. Okay, you know. Okay, so would you say that's a fair statement? Yes. Sometimes there's lots of questions that we wish we had answers to. And sometimes we scramble to find answers when we should have already searched for them. So may I suggest to you that the Word of God gives me the answers that I need. The first two verses, 41 and 42. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word." Notice there, according to your promise, another reference to God's truth, for I trust in your word. 
Three things there that we find. Do you see God's love? Your steadfast love. Do you see salvation? Your salvation. Do you see an answer to him who taunts me? So, there are three areas I want us to talk about for just a little while. God's word gives me, in the first place, the answers that I need. Answers about God's love for me. Is it easy sometimes to forget that God loves us? Now, we don't forget the scripture. In John, 1, uh, John 3 and verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever uh, believes in him might have everlasting life. That is probably the most quoted or quotable verse that has ever been in the New Testament. In fact, if we had some way of figuring out which verse in the New Testament has been put down in either crochet or uh, what is that cross-stitch yeah. or some other um, way put on somebody's wall for decoration or for inspiration or for admiration, John 3.16 is probably right up there, if not at the top. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because that's a verse we want to know. God loves the world. He loves us. But let's dig a little deeper. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, I want us to begin in verse 5. We'll come back to chapter 5 and come down to verse 5 in a few minutes if we get that far. But I want us to start at verse 5 now. Romans 5, verse 5, down through verse 9. Now watch it with me. And hope does not disappoint. I want you to find, and if you like to write in your Bible, you might circle or underline the word love. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Okay, notice that passage. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I don't want to go too far into that, but we'll come back to this verse a little bit later. But I do want to say this. And don't misunderstand and don't mistake and don't think that I'm being harsh because I'm certainly not. But in Acts 2 and verse 38... Uh, verse 36, men and brethren, or they were pricked in their hearts. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They asked the question, verse 37, right? Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is not a lesson on the Holy Spirit, but I want you to think about this. Too many times among God's people, we read that verse, and instead of being excited that God, through His Holy Spirit, continues to work with us and through us and on us, instead of that, we begin to argue about how the Holy Spirit works. We begin to fuss about the Holy Spirit this or the Holy Spirit that, when in fact, we shouldn't be doing that at all. But what we ought to be doing is being thankful to God that there is a Holy Spirit and that He's promised that Holy Spirit. And according to this passage here, what's it say? 
Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not, certainly not suggesting that we should ever condone someone's error on the Holy Spirit. Oh, of course not. But at the same time, we better not throw the baby out with the bathwater either. I never understood what that phrase meant exactly, but I do know what it's suggesting. Wait a minute, what does he say? Our hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. When we study the Word of God and the Holy Spirit uh, dwells within us through the Word of God and strengthens us. Now, tell me everything you know about how the Holy Spirit works. I think I just did. But I do understand that here, we look at this. The love of God, He loved us enough that He has provided help for us. He's loved us enough that while we were sinners, Christ died for us even before we understood everything we needed to understand. He made that way possible for us. Do we understand how much God loves us? Do we understand how much He loves us? Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. Okay, look at verses 9 and 10. For I think... Oops, wrong passage, sorry. 1 John 4. For by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent us His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Okay, let that sink in for just a minute. He sent His Son so that we might have a go-between, we might have a, a bridge between us, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. What has separated between us and God? Our sins. That separation will always be there. But He loved us enough to provide a way home, a way back. And that's Christ. But wait a minute. What did he say, verse 9? The love of God was manifested in us. Why? How? That God sent his only begotten son into the world. Okay, I got that far. Why? So that. Now, if we were uh, looking at this from an English teacher perspective, that clause, that so that clause, that's a really cool um, adverb clause that, so that says, this is the reason this happened. This happened so this can happen. This is a result of this up front. Okay, now, look at that again with that in mind. The love of God was manifested. That God has sent His only begotten Son so that we can have life through Him. Okay, let's make sure we let that sink in. God loved us enough that we can obey the gospel. Absolutely. God loved us enough that we can be baptized for the remission of our sins if we believe and if we repent and we can... Yes. God loved us enough that we could go to heaven. All true. But, Galatians 2, not but, but in addition to that, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Couple that with Romans 12 and verse 1. 
I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You and I need to understand that the lives that we live physically in the flesh... Whatever it is, you can look in the mirror and say, well, I don't like this, this, and this. That's totally irrelevant. The life that God gives you and me when I open my eyes in the morning and when I close them at night, everything in between and everything on the other side, everything is for God because He loved me enough to give it to me. Ever thought about that? He sent Christ not just so I can live in heaven, so I can live now for him as a manifestation of that love. As a part of that sacrifice, I give myself as a sacrifice, as a servant, in every element of who I am. And all of that's because he loved me. You see, according to David, that when I look... Lord, your word shows me that word. I mean, shows me, your word shows me that love. Do we appreciate the love of God that, to that depth? I didn't mean to start preaching there. But let your steadfast love come to me through your word. Do we let the word of God truly motivate us, touch us, mold us, remind us? The second thing, though... The Word of God gives me answers about my soul's salvation. Turn with me to Titus, or 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Let's read verses 3 through 7. I want to read a few tonight. So I appreciate your Bibles turning. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Let's start with verse 3. Remember what we read just a moment ago. David said, let your steadfast love come to me. Your salvation according to your promise, O Lord. When I open God's statutes, when I open God's word, he shows me his love. He shows me everything I need to know about my soul's salvation. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We back up and read verses 1 and 2. I urge entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving made for all men, for kings that we may live a quiet life. This is good. Okay, that's not what this lesson is about. I want you to look at that last phrase. This is acceptable in the sight of God, our what? Our Savior. God is our Father. God is our Creator. God is our Judge. But folks, God is our Savior. Do we think about God as being the source of our salvation? Well, let's keep reading. Who desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? How in the world could you allow yourself to drift from God when you know that it is on His list? Now, and let me say something here, and please don't think I'm being flippant. Please don't think that I'm being um, lighthearted about God to be funny because I'm not. But we think sometimes about a bucket list, things I want to do, things I want to see in my lifetime. You know, I know, I know that we've all got those things, uh, and they're all probably very quite different. But if God has a bucket list, 
a to-do list of things he wants to see, not in his lifetime, but ours. That's kind of different. That his list says, I want this person to be saved. That's number one. I want this person to be saved. You think God wants us to have a happy life? He does. Do you think God wants us to, to see our grandchildren grow up and get married? I'm, I'm sure He does. But don't you understand that's not on God's list? Why? Because those things are not eternal. Those things are nice things and good things and we're blessed with them. But if we don't, we haven't somehow been cheated. Not if our souls belong to God. God's number one desire is for me to belong to Him. Everything else takes care of itself. And so when we hear David sing about your salvation according to your promise, when I look into the God, God's Word, it gives me the answers that I need for my salvation. There is one God, verse 5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So do I want to know how to be saved? Well, come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one way to God, that's Jesus. Everything I need to know. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We won't read all of that. I want us to start at verse 18 and not verse 10 tonight. But if I drop down to 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, and I start at verse 18. Okay, what does he say there? For the word of the cross, for the preaching of the cross, the King James says, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Just another way of saying Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Greek, for therein, for in it, is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. So I cannot take the gospel, the word of God, lightly. I cannot take it for granted because it not only is the important thing, it is the thing that shows me the way to God. So when David sings about uh, your salvation according to your promise, when I look into the word of God, I know exactly where salvation is, the preaching of the cross, but wait. He said, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, of this world? Now watch verse 21. For since the wisdom, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Don't misunderstand that verse. The Holy Spirit, Paul, God, is not suggesting that the message is foolish. He's saying that's how the message appears to those who want something more complicated, those who want something more sophisticated. Preach Christ, a crucified, risen Christ to a Jew, that's a stumbling block. A crucified, risen Christ to a Greek, that's just silly. But for those who see it for what it is, it's the power of God. See, when I look into God's Word, He gives me the answers about my salvation, about my soul. If I will just look 
for it at face value. He gives me questions, or he gives me answers to the questions about God's love. I don't have to doubt God's love for me. It's easy sometimes we look around and, where is God in all of this? Same place he's always been. Watching over me and watching over you. So make sure you're looking for what he's seeing and what he wants you to see and not looking at it backwards. But number three, I want us to look at one more thing from this particular passage. God's word gives me answers to those who attack with hateful words and attitudes. Now you do know that happens to those who love God. In fact, notice what he said there. Let's go back to the passage. Let your steadfast love come to me according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, rebukes me, maybe what the New King James says. Who has the King James? What does it say? Reproach. In verse 42, what, I was just wondering what the King James says, or the New King James. I know it doesn't, I think it says rebuke, but okay. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Reproach, okay. What does the word reproach mean? See, there's a word we don't use every day. Uh, uh, do, uh, do any, did any of you ever have your mother say to you, don't you reproach me? No. You ever get in trouble for reproaching somebody on the playground? No. Ever have anybody reproach you in a basketball game? But have you ever seen somebody taunt somebody else? Or say things to them for the purpose of hurting them, hurting their feelings, talking bad about them? Okay, now, but notice what David said. Then I will have an answer. So if I understand this correctly, David says, when I look into the Word of God, I find an answer for those who would taunt or reproach or talk ugly about me, who attack with hateful words and attitudes. First of all, we have to recognize that happens. But second, let's see how it applies. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11, or 10 through 12. In the Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus said, I bet you've heard it before, but you could, uh, we know the Beatitudes, right? Well, this is at the end of those. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, New King James. Uh, revile you, the King James says, and persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil because of me, for so rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, is great, for in the same way that persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word persecute there, sometimes we think, well, we've never been persecuted. Well, we certainly haven't been persecuted the way the first century church has been. The devil backed up and rerouted because that only made the church grow. So as we, we think about the, the idea of persecution, to run someone out, to chase someone out, to, to uh, attack someone either verbally or physically to, because of who they are or what they believe. But what about revile? 
What about this word taunt, this word reproach? This Hebrew word is an interesting word. And it was one of those cases where I looked up the Hebrew word and... Um, can't think of the, which one I looked in, but gave me three other words that were just about as hard as the one I was looking up. Now, isn't that annoying when that happens? But it means, basically, the idea of ridicules, carps at, rails against. What? What is... You know, I, I looked up carp. Everybody said, I thought a carp was a great big fish that you didn't want to eat. Well, that's one definition. What does it mean to carp at someone? How many of you didn't know that was a thing? Uh, but it actually is a thing. To carpet someone actually means to find fault with them and complain about them. Oh. To find fault with them and talk about them because you're finding fault with who they are. Now, I'm about to show you how this applies in just a moment. But then the word rails. What's the word rail mean? To criticize someone severely or angrily almost like with pointing a finger. You're railing on them. If you reproach someone, you are contemptuous and dismissive in your language or your behavior. Don't pay attention to them. He doesn't know any better than that. Now, I'm going to have to be very careful here, especially since we're live-streamed, but being honest, but kind and sincere too. It hurts my heart because... Not too very long ago, I, there was an individual who showed an interest in the truth. Showed an interest. And many of you were, saw that. was very welcoming of that person. And I don't know the whole story, but someone warned him about those people. And had some things to say about those folks who think they're the only ones. Yeah, and that conversation can... Continued. I don't know what I was said, but I know there were some very not so flattering things said about those who are members of the Church of Christ and who believe whatever it is that we supposedly believe. That hurts. And you understand that's persecution. And guess what? And, or that's reviling against, talking about, hey, this is what, oh, look at that, uh uh, over there. And people lose their souls over that. And we may lose our souls over things like that, and so we better be careful. We need an answer. How do we answer those people? What does 1 Peter chapter 3 say? What do we do when that happens? Well, the Bible needs to tell us what do we do when that happens. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to notice this. 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 13. Let's start with verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord, Christ in your hearts, and always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you uh, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with the gentleness, yet with gentleness and reverence. 
and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is good. What is the answer when we are ridiculed, either to our face or secondhand? What is our answer to those who would openly attack us with their hateful words and attitudes? What's, what's it supposed to be? Now, I'll tell you something that I saw many, many, many years ago when I was a student in Bible school all those years ago. That was in 1984, 5, and 6. There's some, there's some of you in here who wasn't born in 1984, 5, and 6. Um, but that's okay. I was in college. So, um, I saw this happen. Matt was a young man, and he meant well, and he was zealous. But we were on a campaign. We were knocking doors. We were talking to people about Christ. So I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying I'm not so sure this was the right way to handle it. But went across the road and, and, and met this fellow. Uh, we'd like for you to come to, the, to our meeting. We're having, uh, no, I go to such and such. That's a typical answer, right? No, thank you for the invitation, but I go to, and then called another name, denominational name. Ever had that happen? So what do you do then? Please don't do what this fellow did. Well, you're going to go to hell if you don't do that. Let me show you right here. Oh, no. What do you do then? You go get him by the arm. <laughs> we go this way. Okay. Because what's happened? Can you hear the doors slamming? Boom, boom, boom. What do we do when someone ridicules, when someone says, ah, oh, you know better than that, no, no, no. What do we do with that? Well, according to Scripture, God's Word gives us an answer when we're attacked for our faith, or we are ridiculed, or we are taunted, or we are... And that answer is what? Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Make sure He's there first. And then give a defense to everyone who asks you the hope that is within you. And those who are attacking, they need an answer. But what did he say? Give a defense to those. Did I miss something? Give a defense. How? With gentleness and reverence. Reverence? I don't know that he's talking so much here about the reverence toward the person, but reverence toward the truth. If I act foolish in the name of God and God's Word, then I have been disrespectful to God in God's Word and irreverent with God's Word. And I was never supposed to do that. So we have to be careful as we think about when we are reviled, when we are attacked with hateful words. How do we behave? The Word of God tells us how to behave. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, we won't go back there, but when you dig deep into the idea of if one smites you on the cheek, turn the other. If one takes your cloak, give him the, uh, takes your tunic, give him the coat too, give him the other piece. We better be careful that we don't swell up there and say, oh, now I'm going to defend myself. That passage of Scripture isn't talking about defending yourself. It's talking about how you react in here and out here when the world mistreats you because of who you serve. And if you behave the way they do, then you're no better than they are as far as your service and your heart. But God's Word gives us an answer. 
to those things. But now let's look at the second part, verses 43 through 45. In this passage, God's Word gives me the answers that I need. The answers about God's love, about my salvation, about how to respond to those who would attack me with words and attitudes, but also gives me the hope. Look at verses 45, 44, and 43, 44, and 45. I'll get it out in a minute. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Now listen to that. Take not the word of truth out of my mouth. Lord, make sure that it stays within me. Help me to be wise enough to keep the word within me. Why? For my hope is in your rules, your law, your statutes, your words. My hope is there. Now, let's look at a couple of verses. In Romans 15, 4, the things written aforetime are written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, okay, how do you understand that passage? Go ahead and be turning back to Romans 5. But how do you understand that passage in Romans 15, 4? Obviously, we understand it to tell us how we should uh, treat and respect the, the old law, the Old Testament, what we call Genesis to Malachi, and learn from it. But listen to it again. The things written before us. Genesis. The account of creation. The account of the flood. The account of God's people. All, the, all of those things of the rebellion of God's people and His uh, saving a remnant and, and God and on and on and on and on and on we could go. They were written for our learning. But not just, that's not an academic statement. Not so we could be educated. Not so we could be filled with a historical um, understanding of what God has done. That's not why... That's not why at all. Absolutely not. Because keep reading it. We're written for our learning that we through... Wait a minute. Things written before time written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scripture... Patience? You mean it takes time to learn the lessons of the Bible? Yes or no? takes time, doesn't it? Absolutely. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Word of God gives us hope if we spend time in it and we allow it to do the job it's supposed to do. Go back to Romans 5. In Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith... Now watch this. Hope that grows with my faith. This hope that's in this scripture grows as my faith grows. And you said 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, didn't you? Absolutely. Now, that's a whole study in itself. But watch this. Having been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, or 
our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That's a mouthful. That's a whole study in itself. Wait a minute. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through whom we've obtained our introduction by faith. You mean faith is not a one-time thing? You mean faith is not something that I just have and when I come up out of the water, that faith is the same it's going to be the day? No. That faith grows, doesn't it? And as that faith grows, so does my hope grow. Watch this. Into this grace in which we stand. Do you stand in the grace of God and we exalt or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? And not only this, but we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, perseverance, uh, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Folks, God's Word gives me hope that grows as my faith grows. That hope that causes me to see beyond this life. To see beyond the circle that sometimes the busy world draws for me. We need to stop and think about that. Hope that must be preserved and protected. Look at Colossians. The book of Colossians. And then we'll stop there tonight. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. Let's get this one section. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And I, I read all that for a reason. Watch this. Since we have heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. Listen to that again. Sometimes I read that and say, well, yeah, he just said they had hope in heaven. He said a lot more than that. Look at it again. He said, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that hope is what builds that faith, fortifies that faith, fortifies that love. Now look at verses 22 and 20, 23. Indeed, or verse 22, I'm sorry. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith. Well, there it is again. You just got to be faithful. We'll keep going and uh, firmly established, steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Okay, I want you to take what I'm about to say, and we're going to close with that, and I want you to, to think on it and dwell on it, and I want you to study it. This passage of Scripture, notice what he said, and I'll stop with that. Now he has now reconciled you in his flesh. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. If we're not careful, we sometimes try to rely on what we call faith, which are merely acts of behavior, 
and not something that is rooted in our hearts. He said, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. The hope that resides in the gospel and the word of God is something that we must preserve and protect. For it is where that faith grows. They're all part of the same thing, our souls. Now, what I hope, we, we dug a little deeper tonight, and I hope this digging... Mm-hmm. I hope this digging a little deeper will cause us to want to dig more. So Lord willing, we'll finish our study of this particular set of uh, Scripture. So if you have not gone back and read verses 41 through 48, I hope you'll do that and dig a little deeper. If you've not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, there are uh, someone back there who will help you do that. But bow with me, please. Most gracious God, Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be your children, to study your truth. May we put it into our hearts and our lives and study it so that it causes us to serve and praise. In your son's name, amen. Okay, if you'll let the parents go, if you're a parent, if you'll go get your children. And then the rest of us will follow.